1: It's getting close to October. Playoffs are coming up. Projections, predictions. What
0: are you thinking? How are we playing right now? I haven't been able to watch. I've oh, been playing horrible. It's That's actually very depressing to watch. So, the thing is, is like there's always the some teams. You don't have to be like blow the whole season out of the water. You just have to get hot at the right time. Yeah. And you know the Astros are capable of getting hot. Like they're unstoppable when they're like they've got it together. But we traded for all these pitchers to beef up our bullpen and they keep losing all our games. <laughs> so it's just like I don't know. right now I'm, I'm like, okay, I think we would make the playoffs, but I really hope that like a switch turns on or something because right now I'm just not satisfied. I get it.
1: Well, it, yeah, it doesn't give you much confidence going into playoffs, but maybe they're just you know, maybe they're just relaxing and waiting to turn the switch on. That's what I think. Hey, I hope it's true. <laughs> well, well, we'll find out soon. When do you find out, or when do we find out who they play first, or do we know?
0: I gotta remember the standings because a couple more people have clinched, but oh, so know, it's not like fully determined yet. It's not fully deter. I mean, the Astros haven't actually made the playoffs yet, technically. No, oh. so <laughs> okay, their magic number is two, which means like if they win a game and I think the Mariners lose, uh, then they're okay. locked in. So it's like close, but this is the last week of the season, and I'd like them to you know. Finish it up.
1: No kidding. Yeah. Oof. Nail biter. Okay. Yeah. Well, on to drilling fluids, but we had to get the baseball talk out of the way because it's what we do, and I was curious. So we had a question come in from a loyal customer, and so for the gentleman who's listening, and I'm sure he is. Thank you very much for the question. You know, I, th- I find that that's a lot of the episodes that we have that generate some good conversation, and that really. I think are really valuable are the ones where we answer listeners' questions. So thanks for the questions. And this one has to do with foaming. And you know, it was it was something that, you know, actually the gentleman called me and they were going through some challenges and tried to help them out. Yeah. And then ironically enough, you know, last week I got a call from an operator who's not our customer and, you know, had got my number from as a reference and said, hey, we're having some issues with this, you know, the current provider, it seems like they're kind of tapped out on ideas. What do you think? And so, and it was to do with foaming. So mm-hmm. it's kind of relevant. So this will be great. Matt, let's talk about foaming. First of all, what is foaming when we're talking about drilling fluids? What does that mean?
0: I mean, you know, it's it's sort of an interesting way to think about because, it it's, well, it's, it's bubbles, right? I mean, <laughs> right. it's air dispersed in a liquid, but you have to think about what it, it's really this membrane that forms, right? That traps the air so that it can't escape and you know normally the air wants to escape right so you have to have a, a membrane that is, is stabilized to actually trap this air so some kind of surface tension has to exist and we normally see this in in water-based muds in particular just because you know they definitely have higher surface tension but i always have to qualify the minute you say oh this only occurs in water-based muds," someone will will actually you I have seen, I haven't ever seen a like real issue, but it is possible to foam up oil-based mud. Hmm. Normally you've got to be making a pretty special effort, but <laughs> you know, I mean, you can actually come up with a foam system of oil-based mud. So hmm. obviously there are additives that that could bring you there, but predominantly we talk about water-based mud.
1: Makes sense. And I think, and I'll actually kind of go through the scenario that I experienced last week. The operator was having foaming issues. It was foaming coming out of the well, like mm-hmm. it was over the shakers, in the possum belly, and then of course, just the entire system—you know—progressively got worse. But oftentimes, somebody's just in the suction pit because of perhaps some, you know, mechanical issues or some air entrapment in the system. But I say that to say the first, I guess, thought when this is occurring is, what's the why? Like, you know, what's the root cause? And so, Matt, where would we look at, and what are sources of foam when we see them in a
0: drilling fluids? Well, I think you know the important thing to keep in mind is that. To make, you have to add air and you have to have, you know, surface tension basically or some right. sort of surface membrane. So let's start with how did I get the air in there? And I think all of us know the, oh, the Derek hand walked away from the hopper and left it open and here we are. Right. And so the first, thing, walk around the rig and think about how does air get into the system? How am I creating that kind of, so low volume in the, in the pits, right? And the agitators are actually kicking in air because they're almost surface. You're creating some kind of wave action that's generating some air. Sometimes pumps taking a little bit of air mm. while you're circulating. And then, you know, anywhere where fluid drops. So it could be coming out of the possum belly. It could be, you know, just when you're making a transfer and fluid dropping into the top of a tank. Right. So, you know, that's a lot of the sources are just the go walk around the rig and find out where air could be getting in. And most likely, you'll find something, not always. And and sometimes, you know, to qualify it, there are a number of these occasions where, yes, it's causing foam, but no, I can't do anything about it. I can only kind of minimize it, and I've still got to deal with the foam itself. So, you know, adding the air is one thing, but then, you know, where does it come from? So what, you know, in all likelihood or or chances it could be adding a surfactant or something that adding lubricants, some lubricants foam like crazy. Mm -hmm. Others do not. Sometimes it depends on the makeup water, you know, emulsifier. So with direct emulsion, for example, some of those surfactants can introduce a bit of, can cause some bubbling. Think about when you're trying to avoid bit balling and, and that sort of thing, and you add a surfactant there. So you're pumping a bunch of soap. That's right. Well, it's coming back to you. And then think about Adding, you know, whenever you're mixing up a water-based mud in, in the pits, what about some of those starches and, and other polymers that you add? They tend to create some bubbles. Right. So a lot of products can be the source. It may be that you're introducing some air, and a lot of times there's something that's maybe even making it worse, mm. and that could be the properties of the fluid itself. So very high hardness, a lot of calcium. Guess what? That can introduce... Calcium likes to make soap. So a lot of times when we're having a foaming issue, I'm like, okay, walk around the rig, do these other things. We know it's a product, but we can't stop adding the product, obviously. Okay, what's your hardness? Are we in spec here? Salinity. So sometimes you have a product that works great at high salinity, and then in fresh water, it creates a lot of foaming, and you've got to deal with it. So being prepared for that. And then one thing, when, when people are using reserve pits, There is so much crap in there. And if you're pulling from the reserve pit, you're probably introducing whatever waste material has a little bit of everything in it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that means if you're having a lot of foaming, it may be as, as simple as trying to introduce more drill water working from the reserve pit, isn't going to work to, you know, make the product perform. Right. So those are a lot of the sources that, that come to mind when I just first take a step back and try and look at, okay, how'd we get here?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, the you know, the best is figure out what the source is, because then once you figure out the source, it could be as easy as closing a valve or shutting the hopper. But, you know, again, then if you have other things that are if you're adding products that you need, say, as a lubricant, then perhaps you need to identify is this the right product for the right application. And then you kind of go through different iterations of, you know, trying to figure out what the source is. And then at that point, you know how to mitigate it. But what, like, you know, assuming we do have foam, why is that bad? You know, it's something you think like, oh, it's just a little froth on top of the pits. You know, no big deal. Why is that an issue? But what what can that lead to? And why is that a, why, a problem?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like we could have opened with that just because I think any of our mud engineers out there who are listening are going to be like, oh, yeah, this is one of those where it's crazy that bubbles can screw up an operation so much. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we're talking about severe foaming and, and normally you're trying to attack it before it gets out of control, but like. Think about bubbles spilling over the pit. You're, you're spilling mud. You know, you have cavitation. Your mud pumps can't actually circulate fluid. I mean, you're effectively shutting down an operation because these bubbles. Right. And, you know, the other thing is you're probably going to waste a lot of product in as much as between possibly losing some fluid and trying to treat it out and maybe stopping adding some things or adding too much you know, defoamer or diluting a whole bunch to try and get something under control. Yeah. It's just there's a number of issues, but ultimately it's such a like dumb basic thing that could compromise an operation, right? You could have yeah. NPT due to foaming. Right. Yeah. So
1: and you certainly don't, as a mud company, don't want to be the <laughs> the one responsible for that. No. So it's you know it's always one thing to have these things happen. But the best way to mitigate them is just to prevent them in the first place. So Matt, what are some things that we as a mud company can do to prevent foaming from occurring in the first place?
0: I think, you know, a good mud engineer, yeah, you're probably up on the pits, but walk around the rig. We know where a lot of this air comes from and think in advance, especially let's say we're about to add a lubricant or okay, is the hopper open? Just look for some of those things before you go add a product that's potentially going to foam. And keep an eye on things. And, you know, the hopper is probably the, the most common one of just, we, we've talked about, you know, relationships with your Derek hand and they get called away. They're pulled to do so many different things. And so they're adding sacks. They go run away to do something. They forget they've got more, you know, more product to add. Hopper remains open. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. Just, you know, things like that that you catch pretty quick. Yeah. And then, you know, make sure your properties are right. I think that, you know, goes without saying you can also there's there's kind of two concepts and and some defoamers can do the same thing but there's actually products that have an anti foaming property as well so it would be a product that you could add before foaming occurs and it limits the formation of foam versus a defoamer that actually kills the foam when it appears and. The frustrating thing about all this is it's very difficult to lab test this kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, lab testing, a de- the, the problem is if you mix something up and it foams in a jar, it's really hard to say if that's going to foam in the field. And, you know, with our, our direct emulsion system, when, when we were rolling out Enerlite, that was one of the big concerns is we saw a little bit of foam in, in the lab formulations. And so what we did in our yard test was we mixed 100 barrels in a 500 barrel pit and had the hose hanging over the top. So it had to drop, mm. you know, 80% of the way down. And it was like, okay, if it's going to foam, if it's going to foam anywhere, it's going to foam here. And if it doesn't foam here, we don't have a problem. Yeah. But in the lab, it, it pretty much amounts to, okay, add a defoamer to a gra- some brine or base fluid in a graduated cylinder, shake it, see if it foams. Right. And like measure the height. It's not very scientific. <laughs> so for the most part, you've got to just throw it out there and try it before you can find out what works. But there are anti-foam products or at the very least, if you think something could happen, pre-position your defoamer, yeah. right? Make sure it's at those trouble spots so you can start knocking over cans of it and keep it under control.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And so again, we talked a little bit about prevention and some of the same sort of rules apply if you start to see foaming happen that you, know, you weren't expecting or you know, you happen to drill into something or all of a sudden, you know, you just start seeing foam and you weren't really, you know, prepared for it. At that point, you know, walk through what you would do then to, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we have to be reactive.
0: Right. I mean, first, you know, you could go try and treat the foam that appears, but it's really helpful to find out where it's coming from. Yeah. And look, the source could be, okay, I see it at the possum belly, but check your calcium. I mean, it. we also just drilled through a huge section of anhydrite. Maybe that's you know maybe yep. all that calcium's getting to us, so you know try and find out where it's coming from, and then assuming you've been able to kind of put a stop to the contribution or at least minimize the contribution, you know let's get a defoamer, and you know how how defoamers work is basically they're designed to migrate to that membrane surface and and push the surfactant out of the way, popping the bubble. And you know, there's a number of different types. So, you know, going from like aluminum stearate, which is kind of an old old classic, because it's not really soluble in water-based mud, you normally mix it with an oil to create what's stearic acid, basically. Mm. And that can be pretty effective. A lot of folks do that. And then, you know, kind of the other usual suspects, alcohol-based defoamers are probably the most common that you'll see. They work pretty well. Silicone-based defoamers, tend to work better. They tend to be more powerful. They tend to cost a lot more. Mm -hmm. And the challenge there is that, you know, especially if it's just a jug of defoamer and one costs $50 and one costs $300 and you have a foaming incident and somebody just kicks the jug over and dumps the whole thing out, you may have way over treated it or spent a lot spent more money than you needed to. And so there's just this behavioral thing where sometimes, you know, a vis cup, of defomer, silicone-based defomer can go a long way. Right. And so dialing that in, and then there are actually polymeric-based defomers that we use that that sometimes they're the only thing that works. Hmm. So it's difficult because the nature of that membrane can be a little different depending on the surfactant or whatever's contributing. But most common you'll try on alcohol or silicone. And if things get pretty aggressive, there are some more specialty products.
1: Okay. Well, no, that's good. I mean, there's certainly options out there. It's one of those, you know, as a mud engineer, it's nice to, you know, sometimes more, you you think more is better. And, you know, why don't, you know, if I'm going to pre-treat, I might as well heavily pre-treat. That way I'm going to, you know, certainly knock out any foam that could occur. But is there such thing as over-treating with a defoamer?
0: Absolutely. So this is another interesting thing to consider is that you've, you've got a a surfactant that you're adding to basically fight a surfactant. Mm. And, at certain concentrations, it can actually become a problem. So yes, it's possible. And in fact, over-treatment can create a number of problems, but too much defoamer can actually cause foam, ironically enough. (laughs) So, you know, the a little is good, a lot is better doesn't hold true here. And then the fact is, because they disperse surfactants, they can neutralize some of your mud additives, right? So it could be a little bit works just fine because you have enough excess of the lubricant or, or whatever could be causing the foam. And so they sort of work together. But if you go too hard at it, that can actually, you know, disable it. And and so, you know, even certain solids products or, or products with a lot of kind of charge sites on them can, can act as defoamers, mm. but they can also actually kill the product. So, you know, we see this sometimes with like black powders and that sort of thing. So that's right in our lab, you know, and, and even... Look at mu- look at testing a brine lubricant versus a solids-laden lubricant, right? The solids-laden, you know, when you're mudded up and you add a lubricant, sometimes the lubricants don't perform as well because they want to stick to some of the, you know, calcarb or fluid loss agent that you've added. Right. And at the same time, sometimes they don't foam as much because those sites tie up some of the lubricant. Yeah. So, you know, it can just lead to – overtreatment can also lead to, you know, some product waste and – Undesirable thing. So there is, there is a bit of an art to it. Yep. And the hard part it is, it requires this level of patience in the midst of. I don't want to be the person whose rig goes down because we foamed up. You know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: No, that's perfect, Matt. Well, those are all the questions I had, and hopefully we addressed the questions coming from you know from the gentleman who had asked it. Matt, is there anything else that we should be aware of, or any closing last words with regards to foaming?
0: I mean, I don't think I think it just you know being prepared. Yeah. Unfortunately. It's always a little different story, but there's always a huge sense of urgency. So just being prepared, having an idea of how you're going to go about mitigating it is probably your best line of defense.
1: Yep. Perfect. And always, you know, try and find the source before
0: dumping product in. That's my (laughs) rule of thumb. If you don't address the source, there's a good chance that you'll keep dumping and dumping and dumping product. Yeah. Versus just treating out what you brought in.
1: Yep, exactly. Well, with that said, all the listeners, thank you so much for the support. If you could please make a review on whatever platform you're listening to that helps Matt and I get a gauge of, of how we're doing. And if you want to reach out to us on LinkedIn, please do so you can find us on LinkedIn or you can send us an email at the Flowline podcast at aesfoods.com. We welcome all in any questions or if you have any stories that sort of go along with the topic today please let us know and we can share them on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Take care for now. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright
1: AES Drilling Fluids.